Hi, welcome to Meta Minutes, your bite-sized pieces of the Metaverse. My name is Rene from Reply, and today we're going to talk about computer vision for the real-world Metaverse. And I'm honored to have a special expert guest to talk about this, Mark Polyfice. Hi, Mark, and welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Rene. Um, I'm good. Um, I'm excited to be on the show. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to the questions. Awesome. Well, before we start with the questions, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as it relates to, well, the Metaverse, computer vision, AR, VR, and all the fun stuff? Sure. Uh, so I started working on that um, in 94, I think, so quite a while back uh, on 3D computer vision. Um, you know, long ago, we couldn't do too much, but uh, gradually we were able to do more and more, um, you know, take a bunch of pictures and uh, make 3D models out of that. And... You know, lots of the things we do today is still, you know, uh, kind of built on, on, on the things we did many years ago. Awesome. And, um, uh, yeah, please continue. Like, you do so many stuff. I, I was just like, is he going to stop now? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, actually. So, so um, you know, so essentially at this point, I have two different roles. So I've, I've been, you know, many, many years an academic. Um, you know, first in, in Leuven when I studied in Belgium, then in the U.S. and North Carolina, um, and then um, came uh, to Zurich here um, 15 years ago uh, as a professor. Then in 2016, I uh, moved for two years to the U.S., to, to Redmond, uh, to work on Microsoft HoloLens, uh, essentially on uh, the algorithms, the computer vision algorithms in HoloLens 2. Um, and so, and after two years, um, I came back to Zurich but not only to ETH Zurich, but then also essentially set up the Microsoft Mixed Reality and AI Lab here in Zurich. And so now I have two hats. Uh, so both work for Microsoft and uh, for ETH Zurich. Awesome. And you're, you're a full-time professor at ETH Zurich, right? Well, half-time professor. Half-time. All right. Like this, because you have like the two hats, right? So you yes. got to manage both. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, very impressive background, and uh, you're, you're a true expert in the field for sure. Um, but I, I always start with the, the simple but also complex question I ask every guest. Um, what is the metaverse for you, and where do you see the potential and opportunities? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the metaverse, you know, as you already hinted at, it's, it's a very diverse concept that, you know, many people, you know, like fill in uh, in, in different ways. Um, so I think there's many ways to look at it. But I'll tell you what, what I'm most excited about. Um, so the, I really care about people being able to do things in the real world. Um, the, so, so therefore, you know, it's, it's really, um, so I, th I think the metaverse essentially is about letting people, you know, interact together and letting people interact with the world, uh, essentially. Um, and so that can both be real and virtual, Personally, I'm more passionate about uh, real-world interactions, about, um, in particular, enabling people to, um, to learn things about the environment, about the tasks that they have to do in the environment, assist them with that. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about. But I have to say that you know, being able to communicate with people remotely, as we do now over video, uh, being able to do that um, in a more immersive setting um, I think actually video communication works quite well when it's one-on-one -on -one because, you know, I can still interpret your mimic and I know that you are reacting to me and so on. This is getting a lot more, um, you know, broken in a sense when, um, when there's many people interacting together online. Um, then we really start seeing the difference. 
between uh, what you know um, what the real world kind of a group sitting together and communicating and seeing all the mimics and the interactions and who looks where and you know and so on and pays attention to the speaker and so on and so on, which I think is much harder to capture uh, in an online setting today. And so that's you know something I look I look to my colleagues to solve those problems. I'm excited about them solving it. Uh, myself, I'm more, um, you know, I'm really more focused on solving the, what people call the real world metaverse, um, you know, uh, topics. Um. And, and, and I fully agree, uh, especially the, the comment you made about the, uh, the kind of, you know, uh, seeing the emotion, the reactions and so on. It really becomes complicated if you have 10 people with a post stamp size video frame in front of you. It's like, uh, are you actually looking at you or communicating with you? Are they looking at, at the kid in the room or whatever, you know? It's like, or even uh, which of the screens, you know, of the 10 yes. thumbnails are they pay attention to? Uh, yeah. I don't even know what their layout is on their screen and so on. So, so that kind of spatial, essentially that spatial embedding of communication, I think is important. And that's something that the metaverse uh, can really offer also. Yeah. Um, so some people, you know, including me, but you also mentioned the real world metaverse term, but also Niantic and others are calling the fusion of this kind of virtual and physical world, the real world metaverse. Um, others call it AR cloud, mirror world, um, et cetera. There are so many different terms. Uh, but what, what, yeah, one underlying technology that is driving all of this is, um, of course, computer vision and then visual positioning systems, VPS. Mm -hmm. And uh, one implementation is, of course, Azure Spatial Anchors, right? Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us about the work your group is doing in that space and also how does this technology uh, work and what is the latest uh, in that realm? Sure. Um, you know, by the way, the, the Google Visual Positioning System uh, itself is also a little bit based on uh, some of the work we did at ETH with my group. And it's one of my PG students that, uh, you know, has, has developed some of the algorithms there also, uh, or co-developed them at least. Uh, so and, you mean uh, the AR core geospatial API? Uh, I mean, in particular, the Google VPS. So in the Google Maps, yeah. uh, the kind of blue dot that gets refined based on sending, you sending pictures. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we have a paper in 2015 that kind of is the core of that algorithm. Uh, awesome, awesome. Um, but uh, to come to to Azure Spatial Anchors and then the things we do beyond that. Um, so, so essentially, the the concept is that every device. Um, just to function, so the mixed reality devices, or also, as you were saying, AR Core, AR Kit, um, uh, you know, phones or, or other devices, or also robots, actually, uh, all of those devices to operate need to, um, you know, to essentially build a local three-dimensional context uh, for the experience that they provide. Okay, so they do that all inside already uh, the, the application. The problem is if you then want to share across devices or you want to persist that information over time, um, if you want to use it in large spaces, this goes beyond the capabilities of a single uh, device. Or in particular, if you want to share it, you need to get the map from one device to another device and so on. So that's where Azure Spatial Anchors and then you know the next generations of this that we're working on uh, are coming in. So the, the key concept at a high level is very simple. The little map that you build on your device that is being built anyways in the background, we can essentially extract that and pass some of that map, copy it, you know, bring it over to the cloud so it can be shared uh, with others. Um, the to make sure that the information that you provide, you know, stays uh, stays private and so on. We actually make sure what we do is we move that little map to the cloud. Others will actually not download that little map. 
but will also themselves upload a little map to the cloud when they ask the question, where am I with respect to this other person uh, or this experience that this other person has placed here? Um, what is my current position in that person's, with respect to that person's coordinate system, essentially? Um, so, so essentially, we send that second map also to the cloud, and then we compare it. We look with computer vision algorithms of how do those things precisely align. And then once we found that, then we can send back to the device um, essentially the relative position. Uh, and the, essentially, in this new user's um, you know, device, the position of all the points of interest relative to that, that device's own evolving coordinate system, essentially. Uh, so that way we can essentially, this is a mechanism where we, we build up a representation in the cloud and then others can essentially send their own little, you know, geometric context that gets compared in the cloud. Those things get aligned in the cloud and then we can essentially share back the correct position with respect to all the points of interest. Um, yeah. And awesome. Awesome. And, and so basically what you're also building is then like with all these little maps that come from these devices, like if you take like, let's say um, I take my smartphone here, right? So mm -hmm. let's just make it a little bit visual. I take my smartphone, scan my, my place here, my room. And like my wife, you know, she scans another place in the house and my kids also. And then if we all combine this, we're also getting this much larger map, right? Like a much larger representation of the whole space. That's right. So in particular, um, you know, that's what we're, we're now focusing on, on, on really developing is something that can do that at a much bigger scale. Uh, so ASA was really focused on one location, a room or something like this. Um, you could kind of expand it beyond that, but it wasn't really built to do large scale maps. It was really one location and then you could make that location bigger, but it was meant to be one location. What we are focusing on now is go to the next step. And it's in particular in the context of you know, industrial metaverse uh, and so on, where, you know, the area of interest is not your room or, you know, this or that, but it's it's really about the whole factory, okay? And so then the concepts we're doing, you know, fall a bit short. So now we're really having essentially multiple devices can map extended sessions, um, and all of this then gets puzzled back together in the cloud into one large consistent map, the idea is also that these maps can then remain up to date because as people keep using the map and walk, you know, day after day through the factory, for example, well, you know, you can then keep in keep bringing that data in, updating the map, etc. And so you have an always up to date map without the need to explicitly, you know, spend time rescanning everything with expensive devices. Um, you can essentially just walk around with a device like the HoloLens um, and do your work. And as a byproduct, you will keep an up to date map. Makes sense. Uh, that's exciting. So we get the, the larger maps then. Um, uh, one, one question that always comes up uh, since we're dealing with computer vision, basically, mm -hmm. this is all based on analyzing camera frames. Mm -hmm. So camera frames that come from a mobile device. And the question that always arises is like, if you're taking all these camera frames, if you're taking all these, let's say, videos and then mm -hmm. process them, what about privacy? What happens with that? And I know your group is, is very much also focused on that aspect. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about how you are preserving um, you know, security and privacy with all of that sensitive information? Yeah. So um, for, I mean, so it really depends on the scenarios, right? Because it's very different if, uh, if you're kind of, uh, you know, if you're having an experience in your home or if, uh, and that map is kind of shared broadly, uh, it has to be very private then in terms of visual information. 
um, if um, you know, if you're in a public setting, um, it's mostly about maybe faces and things like this that have to be kept private. Um, but the environment is a public one and is, is, you know, not private by itself or, or that doesn't, you know, those images would like of the background would be fine. Um, in a factory, for example, well, it will depend if, you know, the data is actually owned, if the map is being built up in, um, you know, in storage that's owned by the company or, you know, that is essentially the company storage, then again, there's not necessarily much of a privacy or confidentiality issue. As long as the data is kept secure in the company's own storage, you might, it might perfectly be fine to share images and so on. So it means that there are very different settings. And so it's important to look at the different settings and what you can offer in different circumstances. Um, so we've indeed been, so we're looking at all these options depending on the scenario. Um, but we've indeed also been doing uh, research in particular to kind of, in the most extreme cases, can you still provide privacy while still localizing with respect to a map? Uh, and so we've derived some, some interesting algorithms that allow to share maps, um, which normally you could, from those maps, you could re-render images that allow you to more or less see you know, the environment, uh, approximate, do a kind of inversion attack and kind of generate images again from it. And uh, what we've done is we've, you know, simp or we've, we can transform that representation in something that still allows to solve the task of localization, but doesn't allow to kind of do that inversion attack. The key idea is instead of um, storing a single point, um, and depending on the scenario in 2D or in 3D, we, we essentially store less information. So instead of storing a 3D precise point, we say, well, the point is somewhere along this 3D line or in the image along this 2D line. Um, so we somehow, we relax or we drop some information. So we say it's somewhere along the line, but we don't tell you where it is along the line. And so the interesting thing is, mathematically, we can still use that as a geometric constraint on the positioning. And so we can still compute the position from this, although we don't know where the point is along the line, knowing it is along that line is still a mathematical, mathematical constraint on the position, but it's not, uh, it doesn't allow anymore to do these inversion attacks. Um, and so that way we can preserve privacy while still enabling what we care about, which is localization. Awesome. So pr privacy, uh, preserving structure for motion, right? That's the term? Yes, yes. We've been doing quite some work in that space. Yeah, yeah I, I saw some uh, pretty impressive papers at uh, various computer vision conferences. So, yes. And a very important aspect, right? Because otherwise we will not see broad adoption of that technology because like, everyone is worried about this. And so very important. Again, it, it does depend on the scenario, but you know, we feel it's really important to, to understand what are the options and what is appropriate in what scenario. Yeah. Awesome. And your, your work is also providing uh, fundamental building blocks for mixed reality hardware, like the HoloLens and all those, of course, and mm -hmm. um, also for various computer vision tasks, like spatial understanding, understanding the room you're in and so on and uh, segmentations and, and that kind of stuff. Can you share what features you have been working on lately and what are the challenges um, also, especially when you're dealing with these kind of standalone headsets that have limited computing power? Mm -hmm. Well, the, I mean, those are many questions and you know, I could spend the next few hours on this, but, Go ahead. <laughs> but, um, but let's see. So, so, you know, first, Indeed, OLENS is, is essentially a kind of constrained device, so you can't you know, run like all kinds of things on there. On the other hand, and this is already what we've been doing with you know, ASA and um, then the, the kind of next generations of this, 
you know, at, at Microsoft, we also have a pretty powerful cloud. And so it's really that combination of edge and cloud devices and finding what you want to compute where. Um, and so essentially expensive inference and so on would be things that you could move easily to the cloud um, and, um, you know, large scale optimizations and so on are much better suited to, to be done in the cloud. And so it's a question of can you build a system where, you know, you can kind of seamlessly provide a seamless experience to the user, but, you know, have some things happen on the device that make sense there, in particular, some low latency operations uh, like the instantaneous tracking but then the kind of more broad localization that can be in the cloud. Same, same thing with, with, uh, with understanding and so on. Um, you know, a lot of those things you can rather do than in the cloud if they're expensive operations. Um, so in terms of, um, you know, of understanding the environment and, and things like this, you know, we're looking these days at what can you, you know, also like what everyone is doing now these days is looking at how can you leverage all of these large models um, to to you know to help make uh, inference. Um, in particular, we have an upcoming paper uh, from one of my students, um, uh, which was actually also in collaboration with with Google. In this case, um, uh, it was based on an internship um, where um, we essentially leverage the OpenAI Clip model, which is connecting language to images, to then extend that to connect it to three D models. Um, and so that means that now you can look at a 3D model and then ask questions, um, you know, like what is, uh, where can I sit? Or, and then it will highlight the places in the model where there are seats. Or you can ask uh, where are the walls or, you know, what is, um, what is made from glass or where should I cook? Uh, or, you know, all of these kind of very broad questions. So you can essentially leverage the power of the large language model to connect that through a joint embedding to connect that to uh, images and 3D models. Um, and that becomes very powerful. And so we're looking beyond that at doing similar things in the, let's say, action recognition. Um, you know, when you wear HoloLens as a, as a worker in a factory and you are doing things, um, can the HoloLens also understand and follow along what you are doing uh, to help you with those tasks and to bring in, you know, kind of the right instructions at the right time and so on and so on. Um, so all of this is, you know, um, you know, th these are not products or so, right? Like these are all explorations that we're doing at this point and trying to figure out what is possible here. Um, you know, how can we best provide value to people um, and, and essentially kind of enable completely new scenarios um, and really bring this to a next level. This is awesome, especially um, the, the point you mentioned, like, you know, leveraging the, the power of, of LLMs. Um, together to also understand the 3D space in the end. It's like mm -hmm. asking asking questions like, hey, what, what is what is this there? And can I sit and so on? The implications of that are, are really amazing if we think about autonomous vehicles, but also yeah. for inclusivity, right? I mean, this is amazing. It's like, we're, we're, this is like an, another eye kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, this is this is great. Um, regarding the clip model, we are actually also exploring that a little bit, um, also together with the, the, the Dino model, the self-supervised computer vision model from Meta. Uh, we're exploring that a little bit to get it also running with real-time inference on robots. So that's something we're, we're right now working on. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope we, we have some update on that. But yeah, super exciting space. I mean, it's moving so fast. Yep. It's, yeah, and you're right. Like essentially everything that, you know, that we do on, on devices, it also like translates to robots. And our goal is really to make people and robots work together uh, in, in a kind of intuitive and natural way. Um, and I think also all of this technology is really something that that can help with with all of this uh, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe the last question final question mm -hmm. here um, 
you know, for me, it's it's like I'm in that space also for quite a while, but you're much, much longer and much more in depth, of course. Um, so what, what I noticed is last couple of years, especially last two years, I would say, there's really the progress in, in um, you know, research and development in computer vision, but also a broader machine learning AI field and so on. It's accelerating. That's my impression. It's accelerating. It's getting more and more and more. It's faster and faster. You go to bed, next morning you wake up, there's like two more groundbreaking new papers out. This is like, is it just me or do you feel the same? This is accelerating. Um, you know, I think, I think there has been a few kind of, um, you know, key concepts that have kind of broken through and then they scale. Um, I mean, or there's a, let's say a breadth, breadth, uh, breadth first search, let's say, or like there's a, there's a lot of search in parallel. And so there's been these few key concepts and then they get really explored in depth and it, it does move uh, very fast. I think if you take a little bit of a step back and look a bit from a distance, you can kind of see a few big trends um, and avoid being completely overwhelmed by it. Um, but but I agree that things are moving very fast, in particular in the sense that some of those things really become applicable. So in that sense, there's a bit of a watershed moment of, you know, uh, you know I, I would say the first, if I look back a bit, the first iteration of this was probably around, you know, 14, 15, so already, you know, seven, eight years ago, where computer vision overall started becoming applicable in industry. And suddenly the whole industry moved in and started, you know, recruiting people and, and, and started building up teams, large teams and so on. And that has then again accelerated uh, the development. Um, now we see kind of a second wave of that, I think, of, you know, with these large language models, um, with um, uh, with NERF on uh, NERF-based models, uh, although, although, you know, like there, there's several aspects in that. Not all of it is kind of neural, let's say, but uh, but that combination kind of that's in that space, that also has unblocked a lot of challenges that were there before, um, kind of by relaxing instead of rendering surfaces, actually doing volumetric rendering, I think is actually the real key behind it, which is not a neural concept. Uh, the neural concept is an additional thing that allows you to get very compact models as opposed to, you know, like um, uh, expensive volumetric models. Um, but um, so essentially there's been a few breakthrough ideas. Um, sometimes the idea that actually makes a difference is not the one that, you know, kind of uh, gets picked up or so, but, but, it, but people use it. Um, so I think there's been a lot of exciting things. You know, again, I don't think necessarily it, it's moving too fast and there's no, you know, like, um, that's not necessarily the case, but it is an exciting time for sure. Uh, awesome. Well, Mark, we could talk for many more hours. It's always very insightful to talk with you, um, but we're already at the end of the show. I don't want to yeah. keep you too long. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your impressive insights. That is very much appreciated. Hey, uh, well, thank you for having me, René. It's always great to talk to you. Looking forward to the next time. Bye-bye. Awesome. Well, and thanks everyone for joining us for Meta Minutes, your bite-sized pieces of the Metaverse. Uh, watch our blog, follow our social media channels to hear all about the next episode. And of course, you can visit our website at reply.com to watch all the previous episodes. Until then, take care and see you soon. Bye-bye.